0: Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 135, Organs and Stock with Poldy Wieland. On this episode of Huntivore, the time-old topic of what is... Are You Going to Keep from the Gut Pile? comes up. Nick employs the help of Poldy Wielden, a traditional foodie, homesteader, and host of the Year of Plenty podcast. Poldy gives some points on why adding organ meat into our everyday diet is worthwhile. In addition, the guys open up to about bone stock, and its uses more than just soups and stews. So get ready to dig a little deeper, and maybe keep a little extra something, from this episode of Hunt Well, hey folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. Hey, I tell you what, it is raining outside right now. If you happen to be out uh, the 19th of October uh, out hunting, you are far more diehard than I am. It is getting to the point now where, yeah, I'm a little bit sick of the rain. I'm ready for things to dry back out. I'm ready to be able to get out and chase after deer again. Um, I've kind of been living the high life off of uh getting my buck early getting through the processing of of that buck I'm left with the hind quarters um I thought it'd be a little bit further along than what I am now I mean we're now at day 10 of uh of it needing to get into the into the freezer however we've been we've been using the fridge um to be able to keep those temperatures consistent so it's just the two hind quarters that are left um but I'm also training up the boys in their knife skills. So everything has gone from a, a fast, easy process to to a long drawn out need to redo process. Uh, we went through the phrase of, if you don't want to get bloody cut toward a buddy and the whole idea of being able to cut away from yourself. That was a good lesson. Uh, we also learned how to hand knives over to people that we were setting the blade down, uh, grabbing the handle and reversing the way that it is, so that at that point they're not pointing blades at people, they're actually pointing the handle. So that was that was night one for those uh, those little guys. They had a fun piece with each of them got a rib or uh, a piece of neck, and they turned uh, those cuts into basically burger as is but they were got a chance to work on bone they got a chance to work on uh some tissue so yeah they've come they've come far and wide uh from where they were off earlier in the year um but yeah that's neither here nor there we're uh, tonight we're going to be exploring a little bit more um in depth of both our venison and just a lot of the critters that we end up harvesting right here at the fall time and i have gotten a hold of poldy Wheeland, he is the podcast host of the year of plenty podcast uh he hails from at least right now he hails from montana poldy thank you so much for joining me this evening uh what's it like over in the great state of montana right now is it uh is it rainy like it is here in michigan or have you got some uh some better temps going on over there
1: How's it going, Nick? First of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Super pumped to be here. Um, yeah, like you, you said that right. I'm in Montana right now. It's uh, interesting weather. We have we've had a really wet year. I've only been here for three years now. This is definitely the wettest I've experienced it um, right now. We haven't had too much rain, but it's definitely dipping down into those colder temperatures. Next week, we're supposed to get snow. Uh, which I think is somewhat late for this area. And sometimes uh, the first year I was here, I remember we had snow in September. So it's it's getting there. I wish we had a bit more of, the, the, more of a fall and a bit warmer weathers for a bit longer. But I'm also excited for what the winter season has to bring.
0: Excellent. Yeah, it's kind of a harsh transition. The higher altitude that you get, it goes from one thing to the next very, very quickly. I had a chance to come out uh to Montana last year. Uh we went on an archery elk hunt and it turned into nice. yes, it turned into a viewing of elk. I had a very close experience with a spike elk, uh single digit yards, 5 to 6 yards. He walked past me. Um we couldn't take him with archery archery equipment that early. So I had Bummer. to let him walk. Oh my goodness. I I was itching. I wanted to take him right then and there. But cool experience to have him walk by me. I had a friend uh, take a shot at one, um, hit shoulder. I don't care what kind of arrow you got set up. It it bounced right off his shoulder. We followed a little bit of blood for a while. But it uh, it wasn't meant to be, but we were in them. We felt, uh We felt accomplished for our first trip out there. But, yeah, the ups and downs, oh, my goodness. Being a Flatlander here in Michigan, it was a... It was a stark reality to know that everything goes up and down and there's no flat ground. I found myself kicking dirt, trying to make just a little spot where I could stand with both feet flat. I definitely missed flat ground (laughs) after about three or four days. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it takes a while to get used to. And the weather changes are insane, too, especially in the mountains. Like my girlfriend, she... Always tells me that like if you're in Montana and the weather turns bad, wait five minutes and it's going to change, and that's usually the
0: case. Now you didn't grow up here in the states or even in uh, in Montana. You grew up in Germany. You said you've been here now three that's three right. seasons, three years. Um, talk a little bit about in Montana. Oh, three years in here in Montana. How long have you been in the yep. states, and when did you make the make the move over from uh. Uh, the old world?
1: First move was 2007, actually, when I was 12, to Wisconsin, Oconomowoc area in Wisconsin. And uh, did up to high school there, and then I went back to Germany for almost four years, um, which was a great experience. And that's where I really got into hunting. And then from there back to Wisconsin, did college, and then I knew I had to come out to Montana. So um, that's why I ended up here.
0: Gotcha. Also, yeah, a great Laker You've been able to enjoy our, our Great Lakes, Lake Michigan being oh, yeah. right there neighboring to you.
1: Smelting. Yes, you got the, the big smelting. smelt
0: fishery over there. Excellent. Excellent. Um Yeah, let's take a let's take a quick tangent as we go over to back home to Germany. You said you got that's where you really got um deep into hunting. And I understand systems are a lot different. We don't necessarily need to go into into all those systems, but Um, what was your experience like in Germany going on the hunt? Was it big game, small game? I, I, from my understanding that like boar is a very popular thing over in Germany, along with stag, really, really fun stuff to chase. What were, what were you chasing?
1: Yeah. So I was, I grew up in the South, Southern part of Germany. Um, very good hunting culture there. I would say it's, uh, Just to back up real quick in Germany, it's not like here where you can just easily take your hunter safety and go hunting uh, with a family member or whatnot. You got to go through like an extensive course and you got to be at least 16. I ideally 18, once you're 18, you don't need a mentor. If you do it when you're 16, you still need a mentor every time you hunt until you're 18. But um, yeah, going on hunts there, it's, it's very different. It's a, a lot more traditional, I would say. The hunter over there is much more a mix of outdoorsmen and wildlife biologists, I would say. So during the course, you know, you're learning about wildlife biology, you're learning about the ecosystem, the trees. Um, There's just a book on mammals, a book on feathered wild game. So it's really extensive. And a big part of that also is ethics and traditions. So going on hunts over there is usually ambush hunting from a tree stand. We tend to build our own like stationary tree stands out of wood that we get from the woods there. And I was lucky enough during my hunting course to be able to help build some tree stands. They're usually like one or two person tree stands and not like the ladder stands you see here, but you know, nice big, big stands to really sit in and you're pretty protected in there. And, um, usually what i would be hunting over there is roe deer and boar and uh fox those are usually the three species we were going after uh the way the system is set up is usually someone who leases land and then has other hunters help cooperate with them help manage the land and then return they get to hunt so my dad was kind of the one my dad still lives in germany and he's he's the one who got me into hunting but He's the one owning, leasing the land. So he was kind of, you know, calling the shots on what you could hunt mm. and uh, and during what time of the year. So it's not quite like here where you get your tag and you can just choose to to go out during a season. You have a much longer season in Germany. We can hunt rodeo bucks from, I think it's January 31st until, um, or May May 1st until January 30, 31st. So oh my goodness it's a long season, but the way it works is you're leasing land as a hunter over there for at least six to nine years. So you're incentivized to not just kill everything on the land you lease, because you're going to be paying for a long time for it. You know, it's, it's quite complicated, the system over there, but yeah, a lot, a of, lot of ambush hunting. And then the other thing I would, we would do a lot is drive hunts. Mm-hmm. And these are really, really traditional and. Usually around the winter months, most of them happen in January. I would say just because it's easier to shoot, there's less ground cover. Um, there's, you know, the, the fonts are usually old enough in case the, they're separated from their mom or if the mom is shot by a, by a hunter or whatnot. And these drive hunts are cool. The way my dad would do me, we'd have like 50 hunters come and he would put out a, a ad in the paper for volunteers, and then the whole town would come, like a ton of people from the town. And you have your beaters, that's what they call them, who basically push through the, the woods with just a stick. And then the hunters get positioned all around the, the land. And there's a strategy that you plan beforehand and how the beaters are going to walk so that they push the animals towards the hunters. But on those hunts, it was usually again, boar, um, roe deer, and then the fox. We don't. Where I'm at in Germany, we don't have stags really. And they, they've they really been trying not to hunt as much small game, especially like rabbits, because um, in the like 90s, similar to what was happening here, farmers were basically going from small fields with a lot of hedge cover to big fields that they can industrially, you know, work on. And they got rid of all the ground cover. So all the ground nesting birds and rabbits, they really took a hit. and. Uh, my dad has a hard rule of, you know, one rabbit a year, basically. So, um, we're kind of limited in what we could hunt, but a longer season there at least.
0: Yes. Yes. That's very interesting, both with the, the, the limiting on, on small game to say, like, we don't want to lose this. We, we messed up with, with some of our farming practices and we want to make sure that we keep that that seed population down. That's very interesting. Um, the second thing too is like I the idea of like traditions. Um, you said that, that hunting was very traditional over there. I come from uh an agricultural family. We we have a small farm, uh it's a poultry farm. My brother actually has bought it and he's running that farm and but but through that we, we didn't do a whole lot with hunting. Hunting wasn't a huge part of, of, of us as a family. And here I am kind of like the first generation from that family jumping out and and doing the hunt. So I, I essentially, I guess I'm writing my own traditions book. So when I hear of these other traditional hunts and how things are run, I've, I've seen images of, or at least like, um, even video clips from Germany where, uh, like you said, like getting the beaters together. And it's like, almost like a, it's almost like a celebration. There's horns, there's there's bands and then they go and they do their their push and the hunt and then it all gets brought up and they line them all in front of the camera and it's like it's the beaters and the hunters together it was a great big social event um it is and i just think that's a really it's a really neat thing i think it still happens here at least in in michigan we still have our deer camps um where guys get together and, and spend a week up in a cabin. And there's a lot of social aspect that goes with that. And then even, um, drives are done. I I know there's a lot of people here in the States that kind of, you know, poo poo the idea of drives, but there are still a lot of pockets of people that they will drive a farm or they will end up picking out a field that is, that hasn't been picked yet. And they'll, they'll have their beaters or their walkers that will go through. And then on the Positioned on the other side are the are the folks there, and that it really is. It's a social event that people have a great time. Do it's not just, I mean, yeah, it's the pursuit of of an animal at that point. But it's like we got a job to do. We have to we have to get the year's harvest at least from the venison, and this is how we're going to do it. So that's really, yeah. A...
1: Especially like every hunter leaves this land will usually set for himself like how many animals he wants to take and whatnot. And at the end of the year, having a drive hunt like that is an efficient way to really you know make those numbers and a big part of it is also the boar the wild boar over there there's they cause a ton of damage similar to what's happening in Texas and some southern states and they're really hard to hunt you know and uh, a drive hunt can be super effective for those and having it be like a whole community thing is cool because you're showing non hunters the value of it and bringing them into the community and the way my dad would always do it after the whole hunting day everyone would go to like he would rent a big restaurant or like a big hall and have food catered and usually the the beaters will eat for free when I was a kid way in the day the hunters would pass around a hunting hat and everyone would put five to twenty bucks in there and that would be split amongst the beaters it's it is a really cool social event and how you said you know there's Hunting horns, especially at the drive hunts, they all have different signals, and this goes back way back to medieval times. I mean, they have a a signal for every animal that gets killed, like the species. Oh wow! Um, there's a different sound, and then there's even the sound to go to to go to the restaurant. You know, at <laughs> the last one is like now we go to to eat basically, and uh, it's it's quite something. I I like that those traditions a lot. You know, an outsider might think it's cheesy and like it looks like. You know, someone's like LARPing or something like that. It's like, look at these nerds, but uh, we are nerds and and we enjoy it. And it's it, it makes it an experience you won't forget. You know,
0: absolutely, yeah. As I'm as I'm writing my own hunting traditions, I'm I'm picking and choosing things that are that are important to me. And so, like when I see communities come together like that, and yeah, like yeah, cheesy and whatever, but at the same time, there's so much deeper meaning behind all of that. Um, mm-hmm. in fact, I think the one that I, I I truly do really appreciate, I think well, I think it could, it's probably been all over the place. The idea of the last meal. Um yep. you guys are putting in. It's a sprig of spruce is that you guys are putting in, or was it something specific it, you, that Germany usually, was doing?
1: Usually something it's kind of whatever area like the animal browses a lot on. So for us it was often a lot of spruce usually. Um but really anything Counts that the animal likes to browse on.
0: Yeah that that whole idea has been has been really fun because yeah the boys every time that we do go track a deer they're like why are you putting that in his mouth and it's like well we have to you know say thank you we need to let this animal know that we we appreciate all it's given and it gets to eat first before we get to eat it and of course they raise an eyebrow at me like what are you talking about it'll make sense when you're older okay don't worry about it right now
1: yeah. When I did it the first time here on a, a private land, I was invited on to, the a landowner thought I was doing some sort of witchcraft. No, oh.
0: like,
1: no, man. <laughs> no, just it's giving just giving it its last, the last respect. You yes.
0: Know? Symbology. Okay. It's not, yeah, it's not going to all of a sudden stand up and, and start, run, or excuse me, symbolism. It's not going to just start running around and, and doing something else. Well, sweet. Well, how's your season gone so far, Poli? Have you got a chance to go out and pursue anything? Again, I mean, multiple things are opening up all over here in the fall, and, you know, Montana is no different. Um, What have you been chasing after uh, this fall thus far?
1: Yeah, so I never got back to one of the first questions you asked. It's like, what brought me to Montana? Well, a big part of that was really the ability to live, like, a true wild food lifestyle and also – be able to bring home enough food for myself and my loved ones and whatnot. And I see a lot of value in meat. It's, I think out of all the wild food acquisition practices, hunting is the one that's going to give you the most calories, the most value. Um, So Montana, there's so much I can hunt, right? I bought the sportsman's license with bear out here. That's what it's called. It includes a general elk tag. So either sex elk, either sex mule or white tail deer. Um, the the upland bird license and fishing license and it has all your conservation license and stuff all in there and it's just a good overall thing to get and now I have all these opportunities while I'm out in the field and all these different seasons to to really utilize because you know I I always say I'm a kitchen hunter like I hunt for food that's why I hunt and I try to really maximize what I can shoot out there. So this year so far, I I went pretty hard in archery elk at the beginning of the season, started on September 3rd, and had three really close encounters with bulls, you know, 40 to 60 yards. I never could get a shot off and didn't take him. And, uh, yeah, bummer, but, man, it's it's just so cool to be able to get that close to an animal like that the last hunt that was almost successful me and my girlfriend we were were in an elk herd for the whole day basically we saw him at 7 a.m and started calling and the the bull didn't care at all about our calls he did like a few bugles rounded up his cows and went into the drainage and we chased after them found him again and then just tried to sneak in and get as close as possible to get a shot off and that translated to us being literally with the herd 150 200 yards away for many hours we're just moving with them and then they would go up beyond another finger and we catch up to them again and at the end of the day we had a i had him at 70 yards full draw and um, my girlfriend that she's really new to it and she's called a bit too early and then he was aware of us and he just didn't want to make that last 20 30 yards that i needed to get a good shot off but um, after elk hunting, I decided, you know, I, I'd been doing a lot of mountains and whatnot. So I went after some whitetails here with my bow, which in Montana, they're usually congregated in the river bottoms, which that's very similar terrain. What you would have in Michigan, Wisconsin, and they love that stuff. So went out with my brother. And on that day, we just went underground, No tree stand, no saddle, nothing. Just moved with the wind. He positioned in one little meadow in a in a forest opening next to the river and I had another. And half an hour later, I had a whitetail spike come out right in front of me. And um, I saw another bush rattling there. And uh, I decided there, you know, I'm going to put him in my freezer. If I have to use my general tag, whatever, I I want that meat. And also just the idea of hunting a whitetail from the ground, you know, it's kind of cool with the bow. It wasn't my best hunting experience. I actually took me three shots um, to to get that buck down. I had him at 20. Somehow I missed. I was shooting for my knees, which I'd never done before. So I I missed him at 20. Then he came back for whatever reason. And I'm like just sitting there on my knees. I didn't have much cover at all. I had face paint on. He came back at 30. I shot right over his back again. And then at, at 40, I nailed him, but yeah, I don't know why why I was missing. I'm happy I didn't, like, you know, after the first shot, like, jump up and look around. Like, I just stayed really calm. And I was like, maybe he'll come back. And this guy, he kept coming back. And he's, like, kept looking at me. So, you know, put him in my freezer. That was really good. It wasn't my best, like I said, my best shooting. But uh, then last weekend, I... Went on my first uh, antelope hunt of the season with the rifle, because that starts a bit earlier and uh, found some antelope like two miles away with my spotting scope and moved in. It was very flat land, so super hard to make a stalk. But there were a few drainages that I could work with. And I I moved through these drainages and ended up getting sub under 100 yards. But again, there was no cover, so I I couldn't even range find. I just knew I was within like 100 yards and uh, shot one of the does there. I only had a dough tag, and she dropped right there. So I also have her in my freezer now. So, so far, it's going good.
0: Yes, that's a great start. That's a great start. Um, yeah. You know what? I think there's a different pressure, like you just said, with like being a, a kitchen hunter, being at mm-hmm. myself a meat hunter. There is a... There's this nagging feeling of there's empty space in the freezer. We need to eat. We need to eat. And it does make, you know, and there's a contrast. A lot of the guys that I hang out with or at least um, end up associating with, you know, they're after, they're after, they're after antlers. They're after bone. They want, to, you know, they want these very impressive animals, and they're, they're okay with letting animals pass. They're okay with letting animals walk and to a certain extent i'm i think i'm maturing a little bit that i can i can let animals walk by knowing that there will be other opportunities but at the same time there is that 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 voice in the back of my head that just says burgers getting low you need to attend to that and so taking that spike he gave you 3 shots well hey i'm glad the third shot worked on yeah. that that's archery hunting. I tell you that's archery hunting. You can think things are you know uh, in the bucket things are gonna be ready to go. it's gonna be 100% dead and done and that can be not the case. you know it could yep. be a equipment malfunction. It could be you know you've not shot from your knees and here you are trying to make a new approach. my the buck that I got early on here in October my I was relying on my pin lights. In this area that I was at, it was up against, I had these open areas that would be bright with, with sunlight and just with, with ambient light. And then there would be pockets of real dark, uh, covered up by oak leaves and having those pin lights to be able to look into the dark areas. You, you do need those and shoot. I let those batteries go out and it was my own failure. Mm. So I had to adapt. I had to take risk that normally I don't, I don't like to take, but given that opportunity, it was like, it's it's either now or he he walks away. I got to figure out what right. I'm going to do with that, and so that's where, yeah. If I want to fill that freezer, I had to make that risk. So well,
1: that was a great buck, too. Oh
0: Congrats. yeah, I uh, I had a chance to go. I went back to the taxidermist. He was he'd already flushed it out. So I got the, at least have the antlers. They're out in the garage right now, but I have the antlers to go show off to to friends that are around so they can they can see it because they were already like, oh, you took him in already? I didn't get a chance to see the rack. Like, all right, well, we'll <laughs> we'll go get it. But, no, it's been fun to be able to break him down with the boys. Um, I did have – I was going to work on some different rib cuts. I wanted to make some and, and use the brisket, but it got, it got left out to the training of the boys. I, I finally just was like, all right, I, I'll worry on the dough next time that I'm working on. But, yeah, they ended up shredding up that brisket. Brisket is a on either on like on a whitetail. Elk, I know it's a really nice big piece. Um, but what I like to do with the, the brisket off a whitetail is uh, I make a steak frites. And I really like how if you get a super fast sear, um, even though it's a really hard-worked muscle, it's thin enough that you just – I'll actually take the grate off and throw it directly on the coals. And so I'll get a sear for like 30 seconds that side, flip it over, sear on the other side, let it rest and then you do you just slice it real thin into ribbons you know you make yourself like you know quarter inch slices at that point you spread that over some some fried potatoes and i man that is just that's one of those meals that i'm like if this was my last meal i'd be okay with that and that's after a cut that yeah. usually goes right to the grind pile so i do like to save save that little bit
1: yeah man i need to i was watching your video a bit on the breakdown i need to i've never taken like the brisket off um, I mean, I, I take it all, but I put it all on the grind, but I've never tried to get, like, one one piece off, and also I saw you were doing stuff with, like, neck fillets. Usually the neck, I just try to get as much off as I can, not paying attention to what cut it is, and uh, the flat iron, I think you did in that video, too. That's something I need to explore more, and it's it's exciting. That, that'll come down the road for
0: sure. Absolutely. When you smoke a big old elk, that... Those flat irons will be like porterhouses. Those will be big. Um, I've I've got my I've you know got my teeth wet or excuse me got my got my experience on smaller deer and so making the flat irons after a while you're like man that's like a just a little morsel it's a little hard to do but with this buck I was able to take off a full on uh, flat iron steak it makes it worthwhile for a dinner or at least even like eggs and steak in the morning but yeah I'm glad you enjoyed that. One of the reasons I really wanted to to find you and get a hold of you is um, you've been really pushing for the idea of organ meat and being able to yeah. add organ meat into into your diet not just on like a one time occasion but trying to put this into an everyday thing um, I've been i think semi successful with with trying to help folks say like, hey, you know what? Try to keep at least one thing that you normally haven't. And like that first step for hunters a lot of times is, you know what, keep the heart. There's a there's a lot of again, symbolism with with that, eating the heart, but at the same time it is an easy transition from meat to organ. I mean essentially is meat, but it does have a different look, a different texture away from, like, a backstrap, but it's also gentle enough of a transition that that guys are willing to eat heart, and I know you just recently had a big old uh, podcast episode on the benefits of having organs. Yeah. What what did you basically culminate from that? If you were to boil down that episode into a few few statements, what would that be?
1: Well, the big thing, like, the way I titled it was, was, like, organs, nature's forgotten superfoods, and they really are the superfood, not like a lot of, or unlike a lot of these plant superfoods that you're seeing being sold at the grocery store for, for a lot of money. And that's because the organ meats of everything in the animal, they have the most nutrients and also the most bioavailable nutrients. So, what do I mean by bioavailable? It means they're really high quality. Your body, they come in a form that your body can absorb and process and utilize really easily, unlike a lot of plants. So a lot of plant nutrients and plants, for example, and vegetables, yeah, they're high in them, but they come in a form that your body first has to basically process and convert into something usable. Like a good example is heme iron versus iron. In meat and organs, you get the heme iron. That's easy for your body to use right away. The non-heme iron first needs to go through an energetic Process like a process that requires energy to really be converted, and then you know the levels of conversion aren't the best either. And uh, often, you, you'd really have to eat a lot more plants like, a, way more than you probably would want to eat to get the same amount of nutrients from meat and especially organ meats. What's nice about the organ meats is that they're not just have they don't only have a variety of n- nutrients and minerals. Um, and a lot of them are, are in high quality them, but also a lot of them. So you really just need a little bit to, to get the benefits from them. And each organ meat has, you know, its own superstars in terms of nutrients. Some even have vitamin C, you know. You always hear like you got to drink lemon juice or orange juice for your vitamin C, but you can get it from animal foods as well. So really the the nutrient quality and the quantity in those organs is what gets me to do it. And then why I like it over supplements is because it comes in the whole food matrix. So in science, they call it the whole food matrix. We haven't even explored it to its fullest fullest extent yet, but basically a whole food comes with all these nutrients and cofactors and enzymes that a supplement doesn't have. And these synergize together. So they impact your body in positive ways. And like I said, we haven't like nutrition science still fully doesn't understand how it all works. And it's kind of interesting. If you look up nutritional dark matter, you'll find stuff on that. It's kind of cool how they that's how they call it nutritional dark matter. And then, you know, why should you really eat and beyond that? I mean, as a hunter, you probably, you know, you're already out there hunting for meat. Hopefully, I mean, everyone to everyone their own. But if you're hunting for meat, why would you leave several pounds of the most nutrient dense part of the animal in the woods? Right. And then also if you have any, like, I mean, a lot of us hunt, I think because of that ancestral connection, that's a big part for, at least for me, kind of like live more, how our ancestors have lived for millions of years and hunting is a big part of that. And all of our fellow hunters, or a lot of them throughout history, you know, throughout the ages, have prized the organs. Even the predators. I mean, if you look at predatory animals, if they kill an animal, they'll often go for the um, the organs first. And there was actually I, in my in my blog and, and podcast, I had a a quote like a historical account from uh, John Firelame Deer. Was his name? I think he was a Native American. I just I took a note. Let me read it real quick because I figured it would resonate with their Absolutely. audience. But he said that in the old days, we used to eat the guts of the buffalo, making a contest of it. Two fellows getting a hold of a long piece of intestine from opposite ends started chewing toward the middle, seeing who can get there first. That's eating. Those buffalo guts full of half fermented, half digested grass and herbs. You didn't need an, any pills and vitamins when you swallowed those. So not saying you got to be that extreme with your hunting buddies. But, uh, you know, kind of cool to see. And if you look, I mean, there's so many historical accounts of cultural, different cultures, tribes utilizing the organ meats, and they still do. I've done several podcasts with nutritionists who've gone, like, to Africa, studied different tribes, and organs are always on the menu for them. It's it, If you look at traditional diets around the world, they're always there, and that's because of that nutrient richness that they have. And I don't know how it... You know how we lost it in our society i actually did read a a thing on reddit uh in the historical reddit thing where it used to be a big thing during world war ii like they really pushed for organ meats during world war ii like the government had campaigns around it and whatnot um just because they were focused on utilizing as much food as they can right but i don't know how like from world war ii till now it's like become a You know, a thing of the past. Just a strange, an an odd bit. That's what people call it today. An odd bit. So, yeah.
0: It's crazy, like, you bring that up, and we can say it even for, I mean, yes, as as far as our food goes, but let's even take it, like, for a while, it was like pharmaceuticals. Like, there used to mm-hmm. be Tylenol, ibuprofen, and then penicillin, and then from that, technology has allowed us to create a, a pill for everything, a pill that... Hey, this is going to solve the problem. Hey, this is going to fix that ailment. And pretty soon heavily relying on that is is going to kill you. And so you got to step away. You got to say like, "No, that's not natural." And we're finding that with our food systems even where it became how can we make something delicious? How can we make something that was nutritious? And now we're even finding like, "Hey, how can we take calories and make them cheap and it's all of a sudden we're seeing this back regression we're seeing this this 180 of we've let technology we've let uh innovation come so far that it's now almost regressed us as people and so to take that time out i talked with uh even with the cookware kyle sipe was talking about how even with cast iron that was made at the height of the industrial age like we're we're working with you know iron iron ore and they're in these smelts but they're creating this like lifelong piece it's always going to be here and if you season it it's going to provide you with with even heat for generations yep. but now you go get a teflon pan and if you use a metal scraper on it, shoot, now you're going to be ingesting that Teflon. That's not going to be good for you. You're going to use up that pan within six months, and you're going to need a brand new one. It's this throwaway aspect versus what we know has, has been true, what we made was to be timeless. And now we're even finding that with with our, our organ meats. Hey, we got to a place in our life we get to enjoy the best. We get to have filet. We get to have ribeye. And we lost this accustomed to really good, nutritious parts of the animal. Like you said, odd bits or the wiggly bits or the, ew, I don't want to talk about the guts. There's more to guts than just intestine. It's it's a whole working piece that we can be able to take from.
1: Right. I mean, even the fat, people don't notice or don't really see the fat as an organ, but that's an organ of the animal. So that's something you can even start with if you've killed a deer and never utilized the fat. I know some people don't like it, but uh, I I love it for for cooking. I render it down, and I just talked to guy on Instagram. He makes body lotion and um, um, soap from his his deer fat.
0: Yeah, we went. Kind of cool. We did bird suet. That was what we did with ours. We did those last year. The boys had fun doing that. So um, no. So you use the you even render down venison fat or elk fat, mm-hmm. and you use that on, on your pan, your cookware, or do you use that as yeah. uh, just adding fat into, like, biscuits or something?
1: No, I use it to cook with, usually. It's it's really high-saturated fat, like stearic acid. That's what gives you the that kind of waxy feeling on the top of your mouth that a lot of people don't like. But I think it's another, like, just thing that we kind of lost, like a, a texture we lost in our cuisine because, you know, forever – it was said that bad was fat was bad, and everyone switched to uh, the seed oils and whatnot if they were going to use fat, and it just has a very different texture than those animal fats. So I, I like to use it. I think it's great for seasoning your cast iron, too. Yeah.
0: yeah. So when you're using that, are you getting – do you get a really pungent venison flavor from that, or going through the – rendering process does it does it mild out like you're you're tasting a fat at that point and you um with the ceric acid i'm sure you're still getting a little bit of that coating of the mouth but at that point you're you're adding it little bits here little bits there it's not like you're chewing on a big hunk of fat at this point
1: yeah no i think i think it really i do sometimes get that it depends on what the animal is eating but at the end of the day you know i I'm not a picky eater at all. So I still utilize it. I, I've never had it be off putting where I'm like, I'm not gonna you know, I can't eat this. Um, but I think especially out in the Midwest, a lot of deer that are eating more of the grain and whatnot on the farm fields does are way better than like an antelope that's eating um sagebrush and whatnot in terms of smell and flavor of the fat. Yeah. I've but got I think you just oh. Got to man up sometimes. You
0: know. <laughs> Fine, Poldy, writing that down. Man up and use fat on cast iron. Fine. Yeah. All right. Well, I got a I got a late season dough that I'm sure will have my name on it, and she will have a fat cap on her rump that I think is going to be suited oh, yeah. for that trial. So, Poldy, know that I've got a fat cap that I'm going to be trying to render down.
1: Give it a Not, try.
0: Let me know how you like it. Good deal. Um. I'm working on getting my boys to uh to try things more that are mm-hmm. a little bit out there. So yeah, when it comes to uh comes to be- even like backgrounds we're talking about with our organs, um mm-hmm. heart usually ends up, well, all of our archery uh deer go to tacos. We do a big night with my my guys, nice. we all get together and we do heart tacos and that's just really like yeah, like I mean I I, I marinate them a little bit, you clean them up, add a little bit of a marinade on them and I really kind of try to um cumin works really well with those and I try to stay off the spice just a little bit. Um my one buddy is all about jalapenos. So it's like, hey, add the spice on your taco, but I won't make the the meat super spicy. Um but we go through shoot, it'll be five or six hearts as as many guys as get can get get a get a deer, a deer and uh not put it right through the heart we try to utilize that and though like man i would put that i would stack that up against a lot of different recipes like i mean a taco is just an easy vessel um i still want it to taste like venison so i don't go crazy with the amount of spice or the amount to like either try to hide it or whatnot but it's just a user-friendly organ being the heart liver though on the other hand how are you? How are you serving up liver? I'm sure for yourself, like you said, you weren't a picky eater, so you know, yeah. sear on both sides and send it up. But if if you're trying to introduce somebody to liver, how are how are you going about that?
1: Yeah, I think especially the liver and kidney um, are two that can have a pungent smell. The kidney kind of smell a bit like pee sometimes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think there it's just really important that you know trim off any membranes and skins and veins and then soak it both the liver and the kidney the liver i usually do like a lemon juice soak or a milk soak for like two to three hours that'll draw a lot of blood out and milden it a lot and then for the kidney i go a little longer i usually do like two hours in the salt brine and then overnight in milk and that tends to really milden the flavor a lot and I've served it to friends that way and they liked it. Um, the other option would be of course hiding it. Like you said, you don't really want to do that, but if someone really, you know, wants to eat organs, just can't do it. Um, I think the making a liver into a liver sausage is the best. It's so freaking good. We me and my dad we make a um well me and my stepdad we make a uh German farmer's liver sausage which has pork belly in it um bay leaves peppercorns you basically start with a broth of that and then later uh boil your liver in there strain it all off and then you take that pork belly cooked with the liver and some spices and blend it all up and that is amazing like if you can, if you can do that it's super super tasty have it with some fresh sourdough to, Hope you know you can make it home and whatnot as well. Otherwise, uh putting your liver and kidney and any organ really into your grind. Like I said earlier, there's so many nutrients into organs that you really just need a bit. So if you're trying to get it into your diet every day, I I try even though I love cooking and I love extravagant meals, I try to keep my day-to-day cooking as simple as possible, but also as nutritious as possible so for me that's a lot of grind and um, you can you know make start just try making some grind packets where you have a quality fat to bring some flavor you have the meat and then you add in a little bit of organs and you're not going to need a ton of those organs in there so that i think is a good way to to utilize them and um, i have never done it personally but i know people who just do it raw they will freeze the liver you can cut off a piece. Um, You literally just take the liver out of the freezer, shave off a piece and swallow it like a pill I've never done it but I know people do it so that's another <laughs> thing you can try. I, I want to try it. Yeah,
0: I enjoy flavor and the experience of eating too much. I mean shoot, you can tell like, already I got a gut going on here. I like eating too much to just be like I'm not going to take this organ as a pill. Like let's make something good. But know yeah. that uh I do a Boudin ball um which is a, a Cajun style or like a um yeah, like a Cajun style sausage where I actually will will make it up. You use um uh Plablanos in there and bell peppers, onion. Um, there's a rice in there as well. And so you grind up or you actually you boil up um uh meat and then also organ as well for the for the liver. But then it all gets ground and then mixed together and you ladle on the broth to give it this stickiness, mm-hmm. tackiness and when you're first making it it is it's one of those like this is definitely a a poor man's food this is one where you are using um every scrap inch and we're trying to you know even with the rice that you, you're pouring in here like we're trying to find a vessel that we can get more calories into these things but i roll them into a little ball and then i hit them with some panko and then I give them a quick deep fry and it's I tell you what, if it if it's a party, pl- it's a party platter. But man, I come home with an empty platter every time because people just put these down, and then it's it's a mixture. I think not only of the the pungent pungentness of the uh, the liver, but at the same time, like adding a little bit of that poblano chili in there and the the bell pepper, the sweetness in there, it works off one another, and it actually turns something that you normally people would turn their nose up, and it makes it something that oh, I can. I can enjoy this. There's been yeah. times where I've gone to the party and, and declared, like, there is liver in this. And it still has gone over very well. And then I've also gone to parties where it's just like, just serve it and just see what happens. And yeah, yeah. it's also done very well at both of those. Not that I would ever try to, like, force people to have something that they don't want to have. But it's like, well, I'll just, I just won't say. I won't make it a big
1: Depending thing. on who it is, right? Exactly. Depending on who it is, you got to. You know, when they talk about,
0: yeah, that boudin's really good, like, hey, cool, we'll leave it right there. We won't we won't expound upon it. <laughs>
1: yeah. So in that way, you're also hiding it a bit, right? And I think I think that's totally fine with the organs. For me, the the main thing is just, you know, yeah, I want to enjoy the flavor too, but I want to get those nutrients in and uh a curry, like putting kidney into curry is a great way to utilize them. I think. And at the end of the day, it's just flavor preference. And I think whoever's listening is going to just have to try some recipes out and see which one you like the most. But there's definitely ways to turn the organs into something delicious, especially if you soak the soak them beforehand and make them a bit more milder in flavor.
0: Yeah. there. Yeah. And you said it, it does a good job at milding out the flavor when you're using the milk. I've heard a couple things. Um One that, like, somehow— the lactic acid works with the uric acid of, of the, uh, or at least do, not works with, but like combats the uric acid of the kidney. I've also kind of heard the same thing where um, the lactic acid does a better job of drawing out blood than, say, a salt brine. I've always just gone with a salt brine just because it's, I found it easier to do. I thought the, the milk at least was an overkill. But at least for the kidney aspect, using more of that, I I had a set of kidneys I really wanted to work with. Um, I lost them due to a freezer failure, so I didn't mm. get a chance to use those. I was not happy with with what I had there, so I ended up having to pitch those. Um, but the next set that is going to end up coming into my my plan, I want to do like a steak and kidney pie. Um, yeah,
1: that's going, a good way to utilize it too.
0: Yeah, but you're saying go with with something with that, harsh of of a flavor, going with the milk is gonna be a far better better result.
1: Yeah, with the kidney usually I'll do salt brine first and then milk overnight, like a lot longer than the liver. Liver I usually just do two to three hours in the milk and it works out pretty well. It drives a lot of the blood out. And I like the flavor of liver too though. So it's yeah. it's not something I'm trying to really get rid of. Uh just that pea flavor sometimes that the kidney has. That can be somewhat off-putting, but again, I'm the kind of person who will be like, "Gotta eat it um, for the nutrients."
0: Is yeah. it, going with this, going with that, with that same idea. I had a chance to go shoot um, some hogs in mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. These these same hogs that are a problem over in Germany. Yes, they're still the same problem down in Texas and Oklahoma. Um, got a couple of them, and in fact, I did get to shoot a young boar uh very excited nice. about that um we had we took a bunch of sows and yeah we did have a couple of boars but i was able to um on a we had we had night hunts where it was kind of a push we were using thermals as well uh very different aspect of hunting that i've ever been a part of like oh it was it was a lot of fun um but at that point, he the the landowner was like, "Listen, I I want you, you know, we want to glean as much off these as we can." But he said, "Most importantly, I want them dead and gone. This is a this is an extermination, not just a a, a hunt." So we had to kind of grip that as we were, you know, shooting the amount of ammunition that we were shooting and the the calibers that we were using. Um, but he yeah. being able to take that boar, I was very excited because I did take that from a blind. Uh, I was using a rifle, but I was able to put, the, put him down very quickly. Um, they talked about boar taint. And a, a sexually mature male is going to already have this musk, this tanginess in in his flesh. And you're going to be able to smell that on your hands when you are... Um, you're butchering that, and the reason I bring that up is as someone you know, you're saying you grew up in in Germany, but had a chance with this is is a is boar taint that tanginess in the meat. Is that something that you guys are are looking for? Is that something that's sought after as far as a a pleasing flavor? Because as I'm as I'm getting ready to grill this up, like I smell it a little bit, and I'm like, man, that just kind of it, it, it turns my head to the side a little bit. But then after it had got a chance to sear on the on the plate, or excuse me, sear in the pan, and then I was able to serve that up, like, there wasn't an ounce of off-puttingness to that. There was almost another level of flavor that came with that. I was very surprised with how that reacted.
1: Yeah, you know, I, uh, I've definitely smelt it before, too, like gutting and whatnot, a, a mature boar. But I've, like you, I've never really had an issue with it once I'm eating it. It's mostly just while you're searing it and while you're cooking it. And it it is talked about in Germany, but not as much as over here. And uh, I think it might also have to do with what they're eating a bit, but I know a lot of it is just hormones from the rut. Um, I, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say that it's like a, a sought after flavor over there. It's just not really that discussed, at least in my hunting circle there. It's not really a big, was never really a big issue i did I interviewed uh Jesse Griffiths, you know, who wrote the Hawk book, yes, love and, that guy uh, that, yeah, and he he said, you know it's just a lot of it depends on how you shoot him, how you butcher him, and I mean, in his book, he really goes into into all the ways of doing it and whatnot, but yeah i i I've never had a really negative experience there, to be honest, where I'm like, I can't eat this, you know,
0: good, good. Well, that was, yeah, that was just an experience I had that I was like, oh, I wonder if, if because I think Jesse even talks about these, like, cultures will even, and it was more, I think, more even Eastern, more of where you're at, Eastern European, where it's one of those things, like, the older the boar, like, again, the more prized the trophy, but at the same time, like, that smell either either signified, like, oh, let's, let's bring this up, or at that point, like, people really, like, enjoyed having that. That flavor, that uh, that next level flavor of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It wasn't really discussed too much in my circles, but I can see, I can see that being a thing. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who love wild game, even though it might have some, you know, more gamey or flavors well, better than beef. Mm-hmm. So I think it just, at the end of the day, kind of comes back to preference and what you can handle yourself.
0: It's if you love corn and soybean, then you can go with the domestic stuff. But yeah, if you want something more, if you want an adventure on your plate, then yeah, that's where the, the wild can come in.
1: I think that's a great way to put it.
0: Last little bit that I really want to go over with you, um, Poldy, is is the idea of broth. Adding more and more broth. Because we've we've talked about organs. I really wanted to hit organs hard with you tonight and that is something that you know that our gut that's left in our gut piles or is saw is, is secondary and and i don't want to say that that's necessarily the fault of of all hunters but i think there's a like you said there's a resurgence there's a there's a realizing that we're missing out on something we've glean we've missed the true gleaning we've missed the full deep harvest of these animals and yeah
1: eating eating nose to tail really you know eating absolutely. The whole
0: animal if shoot if if hunting's going to con- continue to be in the good graces of the public if we're going to still be able to buy tags and and be able to go out and chase these animals i think we need to also I hope so identify yes identify like we are putting our money where our mouth is we are putting the facts that we said like oh we want to put this on our table and that's why we do this then Well, we better be putting this on our table, and we better be showing the world what we are doing. Um, Because ultimately, we're we're a little outnumbered when it comes to that, and you know, it wouldn't take too many it wouldn't take too many sessions in in Congress to have that all just wiped away.
1: (sighs) That's the scariest thing to me, man. That's yeah, no, I don't know, I don't even want to think about it. But it it all comes down to education and how it's portrayed to the public, you know. But um, yeah meat stock versus broth. Let me get to that in a sec. One more thing I want to say about the organs yeah. is that if you're gonna get them from wild animals, I really would take some time to look at pictures of what healthy organs look like. Um, this was a big part of my German hunting course, actually. We had a, a veterinarian come out, show us like diseased organs and healthy organs. Cause you really just, you know, you wanna eat them from a healthy animal, the meat too. And understanding the difference there can also help you decide if you want to eat the meat at all or not. And uh, I, d- I did a whole podcast episode a long time ago with that on that with a veterinarian from Italy, actually, a hunter. And we kind of get into, we show some pictures there and whatnot. But just take some time, look up like diseased liver of deer, healthy liver. Get an idea if you have never like seen it uh, of what that looks like because... I, th- I think that's something you definitely want to consider now now meat stock versus broth um I like to do both a lot but basically the the main difference is like the meat stock is cooking your bones and and even meat for you know a few hours two to three and then the bone broth can sometimes go 24 45 hours um there's mixed science out there I would say or mixed uh, thoughts about which one is better i think both are really great for you especially if we get we're, t- we're talking about utilizing the whole animal it's they you know the bones like you said are left behind but they have so much nutrition in them i mean the bone marrow that is something that our ancestors ate way back there's mm-hmm. archaeological evidence of them cracking open bones cracking open the the head to get the brain there's a ton of fat in it in the bone marrow and a lot of a lot of um, amino acids and whatnot. And often your bones are going to have pieces of meat and gelatin on there and whatnot, you know, like tendons, all that can go into that pot. And you cook that, you know, long enough, however much you want. But two to three hours, usually from a recent podcast guest I had on, she's a nutritionist. She was saying that some recent studies have shown that the two to three hour marks, so it's still meat stock. At that point, there's a lot of glycine and proline, which are amino acids that get released. And those are really good for gut health and, and building a healthy gut lining and whatnot. So if you have issues with your gut, that might be something to try. The bone broth is used for that too, but you know, with the longer cooking time, um, you might also destroy some nutrients, but some other ones might be extracted more so than a meat stock. Um, one thing to to kind of look at, there's some people have a histamine intolerance and histamines basically get built up in food. The, the more you reheat it, the more you cook it. So some people can't do with deal with a bone broth at all. It, it messes them up. Um, so that's something that's to be very aware interesting. of. That's yeah. Yeah, but it's super, I mean, it's just like you said, such a, a great way to utilize a part of the animal that's usually just ignored. Um, we've been making just um lately my girlfriend's been making a lot of stews i had some elk roadkill actually from last year and it's it's great to use that for for stew and whatnot
0: <sighs> but... I, i'm i'm pumping my fist here on the foot because that's i as much as a uh as a meat hunter i am i am also a uh, a salvage hunter as well we we live here hey. in rural michigan and I t- I really take pride when I get a chance to pull the truck off to the side and you know either salvage a hind quarter, take out the back straps. Uh, having a podcast that revolves all around eating wild game, like there's a lot of experimentation that has to happen, and so that's where uh, we do that. So anyway, continue on. Just know that yeah, yeah you have a salvage, <laughs> you have a a, a uh, fellow salvage hunter here in Michigan with
1: you. Good, good. No, it's it's a good. It's i definitely recommend it to people just you know take some precautions but yeah just using those bones and not even going out and saying hey i'm gonna make a bone broth now just throwing some of those into your stew into your curry you know you often people go out and they buy a broth or a stock or a starter pack well just put some water in the pot add those bones and cook those for two to three hours before you at that stew and you already you got the best of both worlds you're saving money utilizing the bones that you would throw out usually you don't have to buy a broth and you're gonna just have so much more flavor in that um in that stew later i i haven't done it with curry yet but we're gonna do it with a curry too you know just start out with those bones and um you could also if you don't want to make like a, a meat stock or bone broth at all you could also just cut them you know in a way um so that they're they're not a whole bone they're just cut in half or whatnot kind of how you see like the the bone marrow bones that you buy at the butcher yeah and just literally fry them up in the not fry them up but bake them in the oven and you know take that bone marrow out and spread that on some sourdough and it's freaking delicious so it's another way of just getting a lot of food from the animal that's usually not utilized. And again, nutrients, a lot of fat in there. Um, and the bone marrow, I love it. It's just super tasty.
0: Yeah. I want to do like, yeah, we've, like, we've called it a couple of times like uh, nature's butter because yeah, yeah, when you can, when you can cut the making like what, they, what do they call those, the, the canoes where they can cut the bone on the Length-wise. length of it. Yeah. And then lay those out. Um, I'm thinking the, the femurs of this buck. Um, I'll try to probably save those and see if we can't make, they probably won't be like beef canoes. They might be more venison kayaks. But anyway, we can still glean a little stuff out venison of those kayaks. things. <laughs> I like that. But we'll we'll pull those yeah, or,
1: out, or just—I mean, if this is your your bone, you know, you can also just cut them that way. You don't need to do it a long way. Yeah. Um. Whatever you can do to, to get, to access that bone marrow, and uh, it's 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 underutilized for sure. I think.
0: Um back to our our stock thing i am i've been toying with the idea and i've practiced it a few times and it's the the idea of creating a broth that is going to be a meal supplement and i know we were talking. that's kind of where i wanted to lead this on to is mm-hmm. personally um rather than packing something that's you know a bag of chips like you know what that's yeah. not going to do anything for me and i i do enjoy a good sandwich uh, at lunchtime, um, to kind of get me through the day. But there's being an educator, um, <laughs> there's times where I don't get much of a lunch. It's, uh, it's the kids are coming back. They got to be, they got to be in your, cl- in class, ready to go. So rather than having something that I, that I need to take time and eat, um, have something that I can sip on, you know, through an hour and a half of the day. And that's where I was really thinking of, right. Instead of another, cup of coffee you know putting more caffeine in me i do enjoy that in the morning i do find myself as a coffee connoisseur but after that it's like i don't i don't need the caffeine boost i just need some sustenance and having having something that i can just sip on throughout the day yeah kind of like a basically a soup with all that without the filling that's essentially where i wanted to go with um has that been something you've toyed with as far as making that a meal supplement going with, uh, going with the broth.
1: Definitely. I mean, I, I used to in the mornings, instead of coffee used to make broth and just crack an egg in it. That's super tasty. And, uh, you know, you will get an energy boost. I do at least. And that is, there's a, again, the nutrients in there. Some of them have like energizing properties might not be like the caffeine rush you get from coffee, but you're still like going to get some sustained energy. Whereas like a chip or a a carby bread, you know, or some ultra processed like Twinkie or whatnot, those spike your blood sugar. They're going to mess with your blood sugar levels throughout the day and just with your hunger hormones, they're going to keep you wanting to eat again in like two hours. Something like a stock or bone broth, it's got a lot of fat and protein or meat protein to form of, amino acids and whatnot that's what satiates you so that's what's going to keep you full a lot longer and i think it's a great replacement um, for chips for example and it's a lot easier i i have tied with the idea of just bringing bone broth packets out in the back country back country um i i don't know how i would make that myself uh, I'd probably need some sort of expensive equipment but <laughs> I mean the companies are doing it somehow so I could probably start making my um, my own bone broth packages somehow in the future. But yeah that's that's another thing to do like on your hunts you know bring some some of that and you can you can drink it cold too depending on like what kind of bone broth you make. Sometimes if you use like deer bones or Going from an animal that's had a very like grass-fed heavy diet, it gets very gelatinous, and then it's more like a a jello, a, you know, a jello, <laughs> yeah, a jello. But hey, I, I mean, it still got that flavor. You could scoop it out of there. Yeah, cold. If you have to time to warm it up, it's definitely better warm.
0: Gotcha. That's what I was going for, for filling up my Stanley. You know, my uh, it'll hold all that heat in for lunch, and I think yeah. that'll be. You know, and then I, I like it because I can just take the top off. That's the cup, and then I can just fill that up as I go along.
1: Yeah, and you can, like I said, you can add stuff like uh egg yolk, eggs. I've been doing a lot of raw egg yolks and stuff, just cracking one in. You know, I try to get them from like a good farm or like quality eggs. But there's there's other other things I bet you could get creative with with the bone broth there.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I was in I've got some dried mushrooms yet that need to get used up. Um and I'm thinking yeah. that might be that might be an added bit as I'm heating it up throughout their uh first part of the day, dropping some of those in, just let those percolate, soak around in there, and then that might be a little treat that I take off the top Definitely. when we open her up. Well man, I'm I feel like I've only got through half of my list here, but Poldy, <laughs> this has been a great way. We have totally expounded upon a couple aspects of the hunt that totally go underused, both in uh, the organs, recognizing that fat itself is an organ and we can utilize that. You know, it doesn't have to be cubed fat that we're putting into our sausages, um, but it can be literally fat that we're using to grease our, our cast iron. And at the mm-hmm. same time, we're talking about using the bones for the marrow purpose that it's so nutrient dead so we could use it as is roasted or even getting it into the, into our stocks and stews in several different ways. So Poldy, I appreciate man, just your, uh, your experience into this discussion. I think this is really going to give folks something to, something to chew on. I guess that's the best way I can put it. I like that.
1: Yeah, man, it's been great. I mean, I wish, you know, I had some more recipes and whatnot for you, but I, for me, it's just always, like I said, I'm not a picky eater and, I uh, I think everyone just kind of needs to experiment for themselves, see what works, but give it a try. Don't just say you can't eat it because it's the guts and the guts are gross and that's what you've heard your entire life. Like, give it a try, see how you can explore it and know that it's for sure going to nourish you to a level that most other foods you'll get won't, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Poldy, this is probably not going to be your last time here on the podcast, but I think you should help our my listeners out. Where can we join in with, with your discussions? Where can we find your blog? Um, where can we continue the conversation with Poldy? Where, where can we find you?
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. So I run the Year of Plenty podcast. Like you said at the beginning, that's my main thing that I do. Uh, it's all about getting people closer to their food source and Learn the skills so that every year can be a year of plenty. That's kind of my mantra, um, you know, wild foods, homesteading, nutrition, ancestral, traditional foods, I'm trying to kind of combine it all in one thing and uh, hopefully educate people around the food aspect of all these things and get them to uh, think about your food choices and, and what they're putting in their body and the long term effects of that and whatnot. So the year of plenty podcast, that's on all podcast platforms. Um, and I'm really trying to ramp up my blog. So that's at www.theyearofplenty.com. I've gotten a few blogs out now and I'm writing a few others right now. Otherwise, on Instagram, at PoldyWheeland. Uh that's where I'll be posting a lot of complimentary content, a lot of reels and videos, um, some little vloggy type stuff. So yeah, I really appreciate uh, you having me on, man. I'd love to come back and I'd, I'd love to have you on my podcast as well. We can... Chat about a bunch of things, all things hunting. So,
0: Absolutely. Hey, when you get someone that jives with you, yeah, you want that conversation to keep going. Well, That's hold on, right. Poldy. I'm going to let my listeners on out, folks. Uh, so, yeah, folks, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Um, it has really stemmed around, I think, topics that we've discussed before, but I think Poldy really brings in a new highlight on, on why we're doing this continuing age and innovation is pushing us further and further away from things that we've known to be absolutely essential for our life and as we find ourselves wanting to really make ourselves healthier to make ourselves more in tune with the natural world that we need to be looking at stuff that we're skipping over like the fat like the organs and continuing to use the bones um, in creating our stocks and for our stews. So folks if you found this interesting yeah head on over and and check out Poldy's uh, blog and his podcast because yes, as hunters, we do have a mission not only for for all the prying eyes that are wanting to know what we do as a lifestyle, but we owe it to ourselves and our families to make it a year of plenty every single year. And whether it's you trying to crack open one of those bones to get at the marrow or you're just cutting out a steak to enjoy with a quick sear on both sides, make sure that the knife you're using is very sharp. And I'm going to press...